0: Welcome to the burn your mortgage podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the burn your mortgage podcast. I'm Sean Cooper. And it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Larry Bates. Larry Bates is an independent investor, advocate, author, consultant, and speaker. Larry enjoyed a 35-year banking career with several major financial institutions in both Canada and the UK, including as Global Head of Debt Capital Markets for RBC. Over the course of his career, Larry both collaborated with and advised many of the world's most sophisticated investors and financial institutions Larry is currently on the board of FAIR Canada and is an ambassador of the Transparency Task Force. He is a graduate of Dalhousie University. In my interview with Larry, we discuss the high cost of investment fees, how to better invest your down payment and keep more of your hard-earned money, the RRSP Home Buyers Plan, and the First Home Savings Account. Without further ado, here's my interview with Larry Bates. Hi, Larry. How are you doing today? Hey, Sean. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I don't speak with fellow authors every single day here, so thanks for taking some time out of your day to speak with me today. Yeah, my pleasure. Yes, you said you're in sunny Naples, Florida, so yeah, I'm sure you'd rather be laying on the beach here, but what better way to take some time to talk about? finance and real estate and mortgages. So I'll definitely try to make it worth your while. Well, I'm always happy to talk about these subjects. So yeah, let's do it. Okay. Sounds great. So yeah, why don't you tell the listeners a bit about your book here for anyone who hasn't heard about it? Like You definitely hammer home the point about Canadians paying the highest investment fees in the world there. And yeah, your book was definitely very insightful on that. But why don't you talk a bit about your Background and what your book talks about in terms of investment fees. I guess we're in the context of somebody like saving towards their down payment to buy a house.
1: Sure. Well, I spent a few decades in the investment business, dealing with large companies and governments and financial institutions. I didn't deal with individuals, but great career in the in the investment business. And a few years ago, my book came out five years ago. By the way, it's called Beat the Bank. Two or three years before. I wrote the book. I had a call from my sister who lives in New Brunswick. And she said to me, Larry, all we hear about is how well the stock market's doing, but our mutual fund that we've owned for 15 years just hasn't done very well. We don't know why. Can you have a look? So I googled the fund, which was a bank mutual fund, and said to my sister, Well, do you realize you're paying 2.3% in fees? And she said, We're paying fees. And I said, Yeah, yeah, you're paying 2.3%. She said, Oh, you mean. 2.3% of our gains. And I said, no, no, 2.3% of the total amount you have invested, you pay that every year, whether the market goes up or down. And if you've owned that fund for 15 years, paying that amount every year, you've lost about 35 plus percent
0: of your money to fees. I guess the compounding really works against you in that case there.
1: Yeah. Compounding works both ways. Compounding is great when it's in your favor. And with fees, it really works against you in a nasty way anyway so my sister was a smart woman she really did not understand and most Canadians don't understand how much they're paying in in costs for mutual funds and most people if you go on my website LarryBates.ca you you can find a little calculator most people are losing about
0: 50 percent of their total returns wow 50%, 50%, that's five, zero percent. That's a yeah. big amount of money. Over time, that's the
1: compounding effect of the fees really destroys half your returns. And that's sort of shocking statistic, but that's how most Canadians invest. They do what their banks tell them and their advisors tell them, and they end up buying these really terrible investment products. So anyway, that got me sort of fired up and got me on this track of writing the book as I mentioned, it's called Beat the Bank. And the point of it is that there are great investment products. And also, not just newcomers, providers, but also the banks themselves offer great low-cost products and great ways to invest. And if you can figure out how to do it, which is not that hard, it's very simple. You can beat the returns of bank mutual funds and the insurance mutual funds, et cetera, and do much, much better. And that's whether you're saving for a down payment or saving for retirement or whatever and so the book is really two parts the first section of the book is you're probably getting shafted with fees and here's how and the second part of the book is here's how to do it a lot smarter to end up with a lot more money at the end of the day
0: well you definitely shared some very surprising things, especially with that half your returns of potentially being eaten up by the bank there with their fees, like 2.3% may not seem like a lot, but definitely when you have compounding working against you, as you showed there, demonstrated, it can definitely add up a lot there. So I guess the, the whole idea is that the bank, maybe you can comment on this, but the bank just basically wants you to take out all your financial products with them. Like ever since you're younger, you have a savings account with them, and then you eventually get a a checking account. And yeah, I'm sure they make some money off the fees. But I would imagine they're trying to really get people to, to buy those investments, because that's probably where, where they make the line shares of their money. And same with the mortgages there. Heard that the banks make quite a lot off the penalties that people pay. And then the big banks have very costly penalties. I mean, similar to the investment fees, the penalties of the big banks can be astronomical. I mean, I rarely see a penalty not in the five figures in terms of when people have to break their mortgage there. So I guess the idea is that they want you to always come back to them for everything. And I would imagine like the investments are probably where they make most of their money off of people there that don't really know that they're losing all that potential money to the banks.
1: Yeah, I think the banks in many ways provide a lot of good services. I mean, the that very valuable service they have is pretty bold. Be safe in putting your money in. That's not always the case in other countries in the world. So, but the banks are out there to make money, and like I said, they want to sell you the high fee products. But if you figured it out, and again, it's not that hard. The banks themselves offer super low cost products that are, you know, if you do a little investigation, you can take advantage of. So, you know, I'll just say that the three principles of my book are number one, take a little time to learn investment basics. And, you know, that financial basic that would apply to mortgages as well. Well, really, that's the other two is take a long-term perspective and make sure you don't pay too much in fees. But, you know, the main point is if you take some time to learn investment basics, mortgage basics, it's going to pay off
0: in spades. No, definitely. You've convinced me about that there. And before we move on to our next topics here, you touched on it here, but I just want to make sure that we spoke about it specifically here. But yeah, let's say that somebody is saving towards the down payment on a property. They're several years away from reaching their down payment goals. So instead of just buying GSEs or putting in a savings account, they decide to invest their money in, in the market. I would think that many people would just go to their bank and ask for a mutual fund and and end up buying it that way. But as you mentioned, there are other options out there. There are other low cost options out there like index funds and ETFs. Maybe you can just talk a bit about the lower cost options out there besides the big bank mutual funds with the typical 2.3% fee.
1: Yeah, well, you need to learn a little bit of investing in order to get into these lower cost products. Again, it can be super simple. You know, there's my book. There's other sources, but you can open a online brokerage account, and the banks provide this. There are other providers as well. They all do a pretty good job, and you can open TFSA account, first home savings account, or or whatever, and put your investments in super low cost ETFs that mimic the stock market, and the fees on those ETFs would be. A tiny, tiny fraction of what the fees would be for bank mutual funds. And that savings goes right back into your account. You know, I think one thing though, Sean, if somebody's saving for a home purchase two, three, four years from now, I would think for most people, it would make sense to invest conservatively, not necessarily, you know, put all your money in the stock market because the market can be in the short term can be, you know, lots and downs. I think. If you're investing for a longer period of time, then it makes more sense to put some money in the stock market because that likely over time, the stock market is going to generate a higher return than say GICs. But, you know, it's important to understand these things and make the right investment choice. Not just low fees, but the right balance of really safe investments like GICs or bond ETFs versus investing in a stock market.
0: No, I agree completely. And for listeners, this isn't investment advice or anything like that. But yeah, definitely, time horizon is important. So if you're planning to buy a house in the next six months, probably not a good idea to do 100% equities or something like that. You definitely need to make sure you have your time horizon in mind there. But yeah, thanks for sharing your insight on on that there, Larry. So why don't we jump into a couple ways that many first-time home buyers save towards the purchase of their first home there. So yeah, they figured out, let's say a first-time home bar has figured out that he or she wants to own a house maybe in the next like four years or so. So they decide on the right type of investments. And their last decision is what type of account to hold it in there. So I would say most people will use both accounts because the RSP home bar plan only has a limit of. 35,000 and the first home savings account only has a limit of 40,000. So I'd say many people would use these together. But if you could talk about like the two main ways there RSP home buyer plan and first home savings account, that would be great.
1: Sure. Well, the first home savings account is brand new this year and it is a fantastic tool for first time home buyers to get some free money. You know, as you know, Sean, the an individual can put up to $8,000 per year into one of these accounts, first home savings accounts. And when that money is deposited in that account, that creates a tax benefit in that. If you put $8,000 in that account, that $8,000 is deducted from your taxable income and therefore reduces your tax payment and would likely result, result all things being equal result in a tax refund in april so it's something that an account that every person who is considering or is like was planning to buy a home in the next few years should take advantage of that is as long as you're paying taxable income right now if you're not paying taxable income if you're not earning income right now there's no point in investing or in claiming the, the tax deduction because if you're not paying tax you're not getting any benefit but one thing that's really important is that it's get that account open ideally before year end because this ability to put in the eight thousand dollars per year starts the day that you open that account even if you don't put the eight thousand dollars in before year end as long as you open the account you can put in eight thousand dollars You give that roll, that $8,000 from this year rolls over to next year. As an individual, you could put in $16,000 next year, as long as you open that account before the end of the year. And as you mentioned, Sean, that there's a maximum amount that you could put in that first home savings account, and that is $40,000. So you could put in $8,000 a year for five years. So could your spouse. So that's $40,000 each. So $80,000 potentially for a couple over a five-year period. And obviously, that's you know, that's a big chunk of money. And again, the benefit is you get a tax deduction when you put the money in. And when you take the money out and buy a home, there's no tax at the back end. So it's kind of like the best features of TFSA and RSP. So it really is, you know, in a way, free money. For example, if you and your spouse are in around $70,000 a year, you're paying, your marginal tax rate is about 30%, roughly. In other words, the last dollar that you earn, you're paying $0.30 a tax on that. So if you put $8,000 in one of these accounts, you're going to get, your taxable income is going to drop by $8,000
0: and 30% of that will come back to you. So that's $2,400. And then you can use it to contribute that to the FHSA the next year as well to get a head start. Exactly. And if your spouse does it as well, that's
1: close to $5,000. And if you both do that for five years, that's $24,000
0: tax savings. Wow, that's a big amount. I mean, we're not talking about pennies or anything. This is thousands of dollars.
1: Yeah, it's huge. I mean, this is a fantastic tool for those that are savings for a home. And if your marginal tax rate is 50% of your savings is $4,000 up front. If two of you do it, it's $8,000. And over five years, if you put the maximum in, it's a $40,000 savings. So it's a lot of money. And also, the benefit is the money that is in that account is the money that you earn either through stocks or interest on, on GICs or whatever it might be. That's tax free as well. So it's a tremendous opportunity. Everyone who's considering buying a should take as much advantage of this first savings account as possible. And again, get your account set up before year end. Your bank will set up this account for you. Your online broker, if that's what you're going for, will do it. Most financial institutions will provide or sell these accounts for you. Again, the main benefit is the tax savings, which is, and the numbers are large. So make sure you take advantage of it.
0: No, very well said. Thanks for sharing all those great tips there, Larry. And one that I really like as well is that when I first heard about the first home savings account, I just assumed, oh, you can only take $40,000 out, like similar to the RSB home buyer plan. You're only able to take like $35,000 out of that account, but that's actually not true. If you invest your money, let's say you're only able to contribute 40000 but that doesn't mean that you can only take 40000 out of the account. Let's say you contributed 40000 and then you grew your money to $50,000. That means you can actually take $50,000, like whatever the account grows to, you can withdraw the full amount there. And that's, again, tax-free and you don't have to pay it back like the RSP home buyer plan. So that's why I really like the FHSA as well.
1: Yeah, if you invest $8,000 a year and put $8,000 a year into this account, and you earn 5% interest over five years, that kicks in an extra $13,000.
0: So you'd have, instead of $40,000, you'd have $54,000. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, many people don't realize that. They think they could just pull 40,000 out, but yeah, if you invest your money well and beat the bank, like your book is called there, then you can use all those investment gains to have an even bigger down payment there.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, thank you for sharing all of your insight on the first home savings account there, Larry, and also you mentioned that you wanted to talk about the RSP home bar plan there so yeah it's not like the RSP home bar plan is obsolete now as mentioned, the first home savings account has a limit of 40,000 so it's not going to be enough for most people there, depending on what real estate market they're buying in. So yeah, maybe you could give people a bit of a refresher on the RSB home buyer plan and why it's still useful today.
1: Yeah, I would say that if possible, those that are looking at buying a home in the next few years should take advantage of both of these opportunities, including the, the home buyer's plan. So the home buyer's plan It is a feature that allows Canadians to withdraw money from their RSPs without any tax penalty in order to buy a first home. And the maximum that a person can take out is $35,000. If it's a couple and both couples have $35,000 plus in their RSPs, they can take in combination $70,000. So it can be a big chunk of money. So your RSP can fund a good portion of your down payment and it's interest free, right? So that's a huge benefit. Now, let's say you don't have $35,000 in your RSP, but you have contribution room that's available. Well, you could take some of your savings and put those savings in the RSP to build up amount and then simply withdraw the money that you just put in plus whatever was in there to begin with up to a maximum of 35,000. Withdraw the money and use that money for buying a home. And you'll get a tax deduction for them for the amount of money that you put into your RSP. And again, you can use that to top up your RSP or use it to add to your TFSA or your first home savings plan. So there's flexibility. And again, if you have the opportunity to use it, if you have funds in your RSP or you can put funds in your RSP, it's a great way to help with the down payment and it's very tax effective.
0: Yes, those are awesome. Great points there, Larry. I guess just keep in mind with the RSP home buyer plan, it's not as flexible as the first home savings account. A feature I really like is with the first home savings account, you can contribute money and pretty much withdraw it immediately. Whereas with the RSP home buyer plan, any contributions, you have to wait at least 90 days to withdraw, it, which can be a bit of a pain in the neck if you are planning to look for a property. That means having to wait three months there. So, yeah, as long as you educate yourself, which has been the topic of this podcast, taking the time to educate yourself by listening to podcasts like this and reading my book and Larry's book, then you could really be a lot more financially savvy and take full advantage of these accounts here and not make any costly mistakes along the way. Well said. Perfect. Well, that's a wrap. I think we've had good discussion here. So yeah, thanks so much for being on the podcast today, Larry. It was a pleasure speaking with you. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Sean thanks for listening to another episode of the burn your mortgage podcast besides being a podcast host I'm also an independent mortgage broker if you or anyone you know family friends co-workers or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion feel free to reach out email me at sean that's s e a n at burnyourmortgage.ca or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation also be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time. Happy mortgage burning.